0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's In sermon. Your hands, you hold the
1: ...is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for Him. Amen. Tonight I want to ask you to open up with me to the book of 1 Kings and chapter 19. You got your Bible with you? Amen. Word of God has power to transform our lives and to give us wisdom for living. Amen. First Kings chapter nineteen. Have you ever seen someone made a decision that took their life way out into left field? and wonder how could that have possibly happened. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was someone you knew. But I have seen people who throw away opportunities, throw away destinies, throw away even families, marriages, for what seem to be insignificant things. The reason why many times if somebody makes a bad decision if somebody makes a decision that throws their life into outer space, many times the reason is because that they have been listening to the wrong voices. There has been influence. There have been voices being spoken in their head, whether it is from the enemy, whether it is from other people, whether it is from media or from culture. But oftentimes those voices have the ability to spin our lives out of control. In the scripture we're about to read, we're going to uh, once again consider one of the heroes of the Bible. The New Testament exalts this character as one of the great heroes of faith. The Bible treats... The prophet Elijah, with great honor and dignity, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain with his three disciples, the Bible said that there was two men who came down from heaven to speak with Jesus Christ. One of them was Moses, the lawgiver. The other was the great prophet that we're going to read about in our scripture, whose name is Elijah. He is one of only two people that we know of in the Bible that was able to go to heaven without tasting death. That sounds pretty good. He is, uh, by all accounts, a great hero of the faith, but the scripture that we're going to read is a moment of great weakness for him, a moment where he makes a decision that spins his life out of orbit, And brings us a spiritual darkness over his life and over his ministry. And I want to preach tonight about voices that can cause us to make bad decisions. This is a sermon I've titled, The Cave of Awakening. Let's read together in 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, we're going to read verse 1. Listen to these words. Ahab told Jezebel... All that Elijah had done. Let me pause for just a moment to remind you all that Elijah had done in the previous chapter. Elijah had had a confrontation with the 400 prophets of Baal and won. You know, when you go toe-to-toe, one versus 400, and win, that's a pretty good victory, right? He confronted the prophets of Baal. We know up on the top of Mount Carmel. That they cut themselves and they called upon Baal their God. And when Baal didn't show up, Elijah called upon the name of the Lord. And God did show up, didn't he? And God sent down the fire on the altar that Elijah had made. And on that day was very much vindicated and empowered by God. Won a great victory in the last chapter. Elijah is literally and physically on top of a mountain. And then this is what we read immediately after that. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Did you ever have a pity party? Elijah knew what it meant. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb. The mountain of God. Now listen carefully. What happens next? Verse nine. He went into a cave and spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Do you see what the voices of intimidation have done to a great man of God? He's isolated. He feels alone. But verse 11, God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word, which has wisdom for how to live, God, and how to deal with the failures and the difficulties of our lives. I'm praying tonight, Lord, that we would listen to the right voices in God, that you would give us a cave of awakening, even here in this place. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. I want to look firstly with you at the voices of evil. As I've mentioned to you tonight, Elijah is fresh off of victory. He has just won the Super Bowl. He has just won the World Series for God. He has just completed the greatest victory that he has ever seen as a, pro- as a prophet. It is something that we would all aspire to experience. A great victory for God. It's like an outreach where a hundred people got saved and a hundred demons got cast out it's like uh, it's like a healing crusade where everybody got healed blind eyes were opened deaf ears were healed it's a victory it's like getting the thousand dollar unexpected check in the mailbox immediately at the moment that you needed it right you've uh, hopefully you've lived for God long enough that you've had a few of those amazing testimonies that God provided for you It was a result of his faith. It was a result of his trust in the Lord, his confidence that God was going to answer by fire on the top of Mount Carmel. And now this victorious man becomes so disturbed that he runs away and hides under a tree. What could possibly have caused such a man to have such a letdown and a setback? Well, it's none other than Queen Jezebel. Now tonight I want to talk about this Jezebel spirit for just a moment, because Queen Jezebel in the scripture is a representative of a demon spirit that is loose in the earth today. Now, Jezebel is still around and she still speaks to men of God. It's a voice of intimidation. It's a voice of you don't you are not who you think you are. Elijah. It's a voice that cuts down and undermines. It's a voice sometimes that we hear in our own heads. It's the enemy who accuses and says, ah, you're not really a good Christian, are you? Says you're not really worthy of living for God. You couldn't really do anything for him. See, We find this uh, woman, this spirit, at work in these chapters of 1 Kings when King Ahab turns his heart away from the Lord and marries this wicked pagan queen. Listen to just a few of these things that this pair, Ahab and Jezebel, were responsible for in the Scriptures. First of all, we see that they had caused Israel to serve the false god of Baal. This is what led to the confrontation on the mountain Carmel. Some of the uh, what was involved in the worship of Baal included child sacrifice. Yes, did you hear that? They would take babies born in the kingdom of Israel and offer them to Baal on a fire. That's pretty wicked, isn't it? It was because Ahab and Jezebel introduced this religion to the nation of Israel. First Kings 18, verse 4, Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, all the men who would speak for God, and she was responsible for their massacre. In First Kings 21, uh, Ahab does a wicked thing inspired by Jezebel when he steals the vineyard of Naboth and kills him for it. Whose idea was that? Jezebel. We find her name and her spirit at work in the New Testament as well. We've been doing a study of Revelation, and uh, one of the churches of the one of the seven churches in uh, Revelation is the church at Thyatira, where Jesus speaks to this church and says to them in Revelation two verse twenty, "I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel." who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So Jesus takes the name of this woman and invokes it in uh, his letter to the church at Thyatira and says, there's something happening in your church that reminded me of what Jezebel did in the land of Israel so long ago. What is the mark of Jezebel at work in your life, in your family, or in our church? Number one, Jezebel is a manipulating spirit. Seeks to manipulate. Have you ever known someone who is a manipulator? Who is always working under the surface and behind the scenes to try to get their own way? That is the spirit of Jezebel. Now, I'm not here to bash on women here tonight. Some people have taken this Jezebel spirit and say only women could have the spirit of Jezebel. That's not true. I've seen men who are just as much a Jezebel as Jezebel was a Jezebel. It is a manipulating spirit. She is uh, not only a manipulator, but she desires to tear down godly influence. One of the marks of Jezebel is that whenever she would see Uh, male authority, she would begin to tear down that authority. Whether it was her own husband, Ahab, she sought to take his authority and work on his behalf. Or whether it was the prophets of Israel that she sought to massacre. Or whether it was the prophet Elijah that she put in her crosshairs and said, I'm coming after you, Elijah. Any especially male authority is a target of the Jezebel spirit. She is fiercely independent and intensely ambitious to gain control. am sure glad there's nobody like that in 2019. Her name translated literally means without cohabitation. In other words, she will not live with anyone else. She refuses to cohabit unless she can control, she can dominate, she can manipulate. I want to tell you tonight that Jezebel's spirit is still working in our world today. Her voice is still being heard by God's people in the church today. Many times the voice of Jezebel will come from someone that cares about you. You'll hear her voice. Maybe it comes from your past, uh, an accusation. Another mark of the Jezebel spirit is sexual immorality, many times joined together with immorality. And simply, even though this is not the real issue, she uses sexual immorality as a tool to gain greater control. Her enemies are the prophets of God, Humility, prayer, ultimately her enemy is God. His grace, his mercy, his victory, because she's got a better idea. Tonight, this is the same voice that Satan spoke even to himself. He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend to the throne. Right? The words that Satan, that caused... Uh, the, the beautiful angel to be fallen, it, it was ultimately the same voice. It was the voice of manipulation. No, God, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like this. This tonight, this is a voice that we need to identify in our lives. When we hear it, we must be able to identify. We must be able to discern the voice of Jezebel. And I'll tell you why. Because when Jezebel speaks, do you see what it did to a great prophet, a great man of God? The moment he heard this voice, he cut and run. He shut down. He withdrew. I was just listening to a podcast about about, uh, husbands in marriage. And 85% of men in marriage can identify with the truth that when we enter into a confrontation with our wives, the first reaction is what? withdraw. Not good at confrontation, right? Withdraw. And uh, this, is, this is the spirit that, that doesn't want to, uh, to continue on. It causes us to live in fear. It's threatening, enticing, manipulating. These are voices that we must be aware of tonight, voices of condemnation, of fear, and of doubt. It's the voice of mockery, like Jesus as He hung on the cross. in Matthew 27, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked Jesus, laughed at Him. They said He saved others. Himself, He cannot save. If you are the King of Israel, come down now from the cross and we will believe. Mockers. That's the voice that causes us to make bad decisions in life. Have you ever heard the voice that can cause you to make decisions that lead you out into the wilderness? Tonight, I want to remind you that you have the ability, you have the, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it says that we can have the same mind as Christ. And I want to remind you tonight that just because you hear a voice does not mean you have to listen to it. Does not mean you have to heed it. It's something interesting in our scripture that uh, in verse 3, it says uh, that when he heard this word, that he actually didn't just hear it, but that he saw it. Did you catch that in the scripture? Again, in 1 Kings chapter 19, I lost my page. In my Bible, it says, verse 3, and when he saw that, He arose and ran for his life. Do you get the idea here that he hears this message from Jezebel? The messenger has just spoken to him. And it doesn't say that when he heard that. It says when he saw it. It means that this has become such a reality that he swallowed this as gospel truth. It means that he could see her threats becoming real in his mind as they were being spoken. He saw how Jezebel was trying to destroy him and he received it tonight. I want to tell you you don't have to receive these kinds of voices. Say amen somebody. He didn't just hear a message. He began to see it and it made him a runner. How many of you have ever known a runner? <laughs> Someone who chose to run the righteous decision would have been to stand and confront. Nope, you're wrong. And I'm going to stand here. Jezebel, come and get me if you want, but I'm going to do what's right. That would have been the right thing to do, right? But instead, the voices that were being spoken caused him to panic, caused him to fear, caused him to lose his uh, self-worth He began to pity, oh, I'm nothing, I'm useless. Everything I've done in the past is in the past, and now my life is over. That's what he's telling himself. One threat from Jezebel, and now he's running. He's running from God. He's running from righteousness. We live in a generation of runners, afraid of commitment, afraid to do the hard work that it takes to see a thing through, like marriage. Or like parenting. Afraid to stick out in the job for a good promotion? Nah, I'll just get another job. It said, did you notice that when he ran, something else interesting, he said that in verse 3, when he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, and he left his servant there. Elijah had a servant. You remember his servant? It was the same servant that... that, uh, that one day they were there in the valley and the, the army was encamped around them and the servant was fearful, right, his disciple. And, the, and, and Elijah prayed, O oh Lord, that you would open his eyes. And the same servant, the next moment he looks up and he sees that around, surrounding the enemy armies was the very chariots and horses and the armies of the living God all surrounding them, right? You remember that amazing story? Same servant who is there, who is helping Elijah, who is serving him. And Elijah, no doubt, was training him for ministry, how to be a man of God. But when these voices pipe up, he begins to run, not only from the enemy, but he runs from his own servant, his commitment to this man that was helping him. This is a radical shaking of his faith. Can you say amen? Amen. It drives him into isolation. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. Church, are you kidding me? I don't want to go to church. No way. Don't they know who I am? See, one word from the wrong voice can cause us to isolate. And let me just remind you, church. God did not make you to be alone. You do not thrive when you are alone. Do you know why the mega churches of our generation are so appealing to so many Christians? Because they can go and watch a show and be totally anonymous. You can walk in the door, experience the show that's on the stage, walk out the door, and never speak to one person. Right? It's anonymous. It's isolation. That's why social media is thriving in our, because we, we look at our a page and say, oh, I've got 400 followers, I've got 500 friends. But in reality, we're more isolated than we've ever been. A generation now, the millennial generation growing up and is now digital native. People who are a little bit younger than me have never known what life is like without the Internet and without social media. And at the same time, the rates of suicide are skyrocketing, depression, anger problems, school shootings. Why is all It's because of isolation. God did not create us to be alone. But this is where the wrong voices have driven Elijah. It says that he came and he sat under a broom tree. You know what this tells me about Elijah? When he listened to the wrong voice, he no longer had the drive to do something for God. He no longer had a hunger, a passion. He no longer was excited to do something for God. He used to be, man, I'd go up to the top of the mountain, fire would fall, that's exciting. It used to be we'd come to church, man, and we couldn't hardly get you out of here. Pastor would be turning off the lights. Pastor, I want to stay longer. Can you preach another sermon, please? Do like the Apostle Paul, he preached till midnight. Now can't even wait. Pastor, I'm only going to listen to two points, not three points tonight. I'm good. Here's the prophet Elijah. He says, nah, I'm just going to sit here under the tree. I don't need to do anything. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else give. Let somebody else labor. I'm just going to sit here under a tree. He had been rendered ineffective. This is what, this is what the enemy seeks to do to our lives. Can I, can I just remind you the, the strategy of hell that is against every believer, right? You remember you got an enemy tonight, yeah? What is his goal? To kill, to steal, to destroy. He wants to kill you, Right? but you know, we got the blood of Jesus. We've been forgiven. We've got the Holy Spirit. So the devil, if you're saved and you're right with God, what he would love to do, if he can't kill you, you know what he wants to do? He wants to steal your destiny. He wants to destroy your effectiveness. And he'd be just fine with a bunch of Christians sitting there. I'm real excited for Jesus. pastor, I don't want to do anything. Come on. Right. That's, that's where Elijah is. He has lost his heart, his passion. It's a dark and difficult place. First Peter five, eight says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In this moment, Elijah, the great prophet, the one who called fire down, has been devoured by the strategy of hell. And he is paralyzed in darkness, despair, and hopelessness. Listen to his prayer. Some of you might have prayed a prayer like this a time or two. He prayed, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Yeah. No kidding, Elijah. You have the same faults and same failures as everybody else. But here he has lost hope. You can lose a lot of things in life, but when you lose hope, that's when so many bad things begin to happen. He says, there's no more options for me. I'm out of excuses. See, this is where Christians make crazy, crazy decisions. This is where they go back to the clubs. Back to the bar, back to the drugs, back to the alcohol, back to the old wicked boyfriend or girlfriend because it seems like all is lost. What's the use? Right? And in the New Testament, how it says that those who have known righteousness and who go back are far worse than when they started? This is how it happens. When, they, when Christians, when we say to ourselves, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, there's nothing left for me, I might as well go off the deep end. And this is why the bars and the clubs are filled with backsliders today. People who once knew God, once lived for God, but the Jezebel, a voice from the past, has rendered them ineffective and hopeless. Now... want to talk about the cave of awakening in many ways, this moment of Elijah's life, this moment that we've, he has reached this point. It's representative of a need for awakening, a need for revival. We talk about a revival a lot, right? In our church, we have revival services from time to time. We'll invite an evangelist to come and preach And we call those revival services. You know why? Because y'all need to wake up. Because we get sleepy spiritually. We begin to lull. We begin to drag. We begin to tell ourselves, oh, we're useless. Oh, we can't do anything. Uh, I might as well sit under this broom tree. Right? And so what we do is we sit. We say, God, we need revival. We need God to shake things up. Elijah has a moment here where God calls him to go into a cave. Now, a cave. I want you to take a moment and think about, access your spiritual memory banks for a moment and think about some other places in the Bible where caves are present. Think about caves. You got one? Yep, that was a cave. There was a good result that came out of that cave. Can you think of any others? Yes? Okay. There was a good result from that too. Can you think of any other caves? Mike? That's the same one we just talked about. When you think about caves in the Bible, caves are a place where something supernatural always happens. How about the tomb of Jesus? Jesus was laid to rest in a cave, in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock. In many ways, the cave is a place of awakening. This is something I learned from my rabbi, Daniel Lapin. Listen in verse 9, 1 Kings chapter 19. Verse 9, he went there into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, there the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Other caves that we talked about is First Samuel 24, that's where David refused to kill Saul, and there secured his kingly destiny. In First Kings 18, just before this, Obadiah was the one who hid the prophet's from Jezebel. And here in 1st Kings 19 where Elijah hides, the the root word of the Hebrew word for cave, right? The Hebrew word for cave is meara. Any guesses what that word means? It means to be awakened, to come alive. To be revived, can I tell you, if you need to get revived tonight, if you want to hear from the Lord, somewhere you're going to have to find yourself alone with God. That's what the cave represents. It's a place where we get alone with God. It's where Jesus spent time up on the mountain with the Lord and was revived in his spirit. Where he could be sequestered from the crowds for a few moments so that he could experience Mayara to be awakened. It is the same symbol of a seed being placed in the ground. Many times, these stories, the men who go into that cave are like that seed, and when they come out, they are thriving like a tree. See, the root of the problem as God confronts Elijah is in verse 10. I want you to be uh, see this one more time. I'll give verse 10. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. You know what Elijah's complaint here is? Something that everyone here has, you've had the same thought in your head. I'm the only one doing anything around here. I'm the only one cleaning toilets. I'm the only one preaching sermons. I'm the only one witnessing on Saturdays. I alone am left. Take my life, Lord, for I am no better than my father's. (laughs) Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever heard that voice in your head? This is the reason why Elijah says, there's no hope for me because... Nobody else has the vision anymore. I alone, I'm the last person on earth who loves the Lord. I'm the only one. I am. Wasn't, wasn't that Denzel Washington movie? He was the only one who had the last copy of the Bible. Eli, yeah. He says, nobody else reads the Bible. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one who shows up for prayer meeting. Nobody else is living clean for God, so why should I? Nobody else has standards, so why should I? And so with this thought in mind, God gives Elijah a powerful revelation. He says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord passed by and gave him three revelations, right? First, there was a great strong wind, a wind that was so strong that it began to break the rocks into pieces. Think about that kind of wind that would break rocks into pieces. We're talking hurricane-force hurricane winds that he is witnessing on the side of this mountain. But all of that action, says the Lord, was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was, what, an earthquake And the ground began to shake. And if you've ever experienced an earthquake, you know it's a frightening experience, right? Then it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. And many times God is represented in Scripture by an all-consuming fire. And perhaps there's a forest fire that passes by right in front of His eyes. But again, the Lord was not in the fire. So all three of these represent big, huge movements, things that we normally would, would associate God's voice with: the thundering on the top of Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, the thundering of, uh, of Moses, and when he comes and the you know, finger of God and all the strong and mighty and flashing and thunder and lightning, scary stuff, right? But then after all of that, there was a still small voice. And do you know why God spoke to Elijah like this? Because Elijah had already seen the big theatrics. He had already experienced the mighty miracles, the fire falling, the altar, the prophets of Baal. He had seen all of that before. What Elijah needed was a whisper. Do you know why God whispers? If I was to begin, See that? When I whisper, it makes you lean in. What did you say? What did you say? And the Lord spoke with a still, small voice because Elijah needed to lean in again. Lord, I'm not hearing you. Could you say that again one more time? When's the last time you did that with God? When's the last time? the Lord begin whispering. If you can't hear him tonight, you say, Lord, I want you to shout at me so I can hear you clearly. And God says, no. You need me to whisper because you need to lean in a little closer. See, this is about proximity, isn't it? How far away do you want to be from God when he is passing by in a wind that breaks rocks? You want to go, ah! It's like the children of Israel. When they saw Moses coming down the mountain, he was glowing with the power and the presence. And they said, we don't want to see any of that. That is just way too scary. But when God began to whisper, this is about God wants to be closer. He wants you to lean in and take a step closer. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight. You've been listening to wrong voices. Maybe they're even in your own head at this moment. And God could reveal himself to you with a with a cloud in the sky. He could shout in your ear and wake you up in the middle of the night. But most of the time, you know what God does? I have a word for you. God will whisper. And when Elijah began finally to listen to God, do you know what happened? He finally got himself back into the will of God. He started obeying the Lord. God was able once again to lead him. God was able to tell him, Elijah, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And he says, Yes, sir, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Without fear, without questioning, he says, Okay, God, now I can hear your voice through a whisper. Tonight, I want to encourage every person here. Maybe God's not shouting from the rooftop. He's not shouting from the mountaintop like He used to in your life. And the reason is because maybe you've had a few f- spiritual experiences. What God wants most of all is He wants you to lean in a little closer. Would you speak to me, God? See, this happened in the cave of awakening. We've got to find ourselves in the place tonight where we can hear the Lord in a still, small voice. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. As we bring this service to a close and as God begins to speak to us once again, help us tonight. Oh, we need his presence. We need his grace. We need his mercy tonight. I'm sorry.
0: and love people.